Well, you all sang well today. You had a big game last, uh, last night, and I'm sure you all were excited. I know Kentucky beat Louisville. That was great, and uh, I know that's what you're all talking about. Uh, super awesome. Okay, um, we're at uh, New Year's Eve Eve, and at the new year, you do one of two things. You, you either make resolutions for the coming year, or you look back at the last year. And we have a tendency to do more of the, hey, what am I going to do for 2019? What am I going to do going forward? And we do less of the, hey, let me assess what happened in my life. Because we, you know, they have those like, ESPN will do the plays of the year, and then there'll be, um, there'll be a man of the year, I think Time Magazine, or a person of the year, they, they have a, a cover for that. There, there is this idea of looking back a little bit, but really we're going to do maybe a deep dive into looking back. And, and we're going to do what, what I'm going to call, we're going to take a soul inventory today. We're going to kind of look at where is my soul right now, and I got here by doing certain things, so let's look back at those things. How did I get here, and then going forward, what am I going to do? And we're going to look at a couple of my very, very favorite verses in Scripture, um, but, but what this is called, the, there was a guy named Rabbi Lefin, about 1820 or something like that, and he came up with this called Sheshban HaNefesh. Say it with me. Not, you don't have to. Um, I like it because it sounds like Cinnabon. And so, um, but what it literally means is a looking back. It's taking a, kind of a, a, a survey. And so you pause from going forward spiritually. You pause for just a bit. And you look at your choices. You, you look at um, your fears your offenses, what are the things, businesses do this, they'll give an accounting of what they've done in the business year prior, uh, they do an audit of, you know, hey, this last year, this is what we did, because here, if you're in business and you're investing in certain advertising and it's not working, well, you want to adjust course, right? So, or, or if you're doing certain, you have, you know, 12 employees and you need 14, you need to make an adjustment, but you have to make an assessment of where you are before you can tell where you're going to go. And in the Hebrew language, what they're shooting for, what we're shooting for as people, is something called shalom. You've heard this word. It means peace. But it's more than just my circumstances are great. Shalom is I'm at peace even or irregardless of my circumstance. So I might have turmoil all around me, but I can still have shalom. I can still have peace in the midst of turmoil. And a lot of that is how is my relationship with God. So the other day we had communion, and one of the things you do at communion is you have an assessment. You, you're, you're not supposed to take communion until you sort of analyze, where, where am I in relationship with God? And so when you, when you do sheshban ha-nefesh, um, you ask questions like this. Um, why did I do the things I did? This last year, if I'm here, it's because I did certain things. I, I took a certain path. So why did I do those things? Because here I am, it's because of those things I did. Why did I do those things? Why did I make those decisions? Uh, we ask things like, how did I um, spend my time? How did I spend my money? Was it wise? Did I waste? Uh, that sort of thing. Um, 
How have I treated my body? Have I, have I treated it okay? And this is a really bad time of year to ask that question because we just came out of Christmas and tomorrow uh, and the next day are going to be awesome. Uh, but, um, but then you can just say, okay, so January 2nd, we can ask that question. Um, have I treated others well? Have I been too self-focused? What things have caused me joy? What things have caused me fear? And, and so when we make this analysis, when we get to a place, then we can say, okay, this is what I want to do going forward. I have to figure out where I am in order to figure out where I'm going to go. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses written by a guy named King David. Um, I don't know how political you are, and really we're not talking about politics today, but here's what I've noticed about politics. If I'm a Republican and a Democrat is in office as president, I am likely to be critical of this person's job performance. If I'm a Democrat and a Republican is president, I am likely to be critical. I see critical, they were critical when President Obama was in. They're critical now when President Trump is in. They were critical with uh, President Bush. They were critical with Bill Clinton. Um, we have this tendency to be hypercritical of the person who is in power who's not affiliated with our, with our party. That's kind of how it works. Now, in Israel, you had a kingship. You had one guy, and he was in charge, and he was in charge until he died, and then somebody, usually from his family, would take over. And so you could be critical, <laughs> and sometimes you died uh, if you were too critical. All right, so here we have David, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but whoever is in the top seat, whoever's in charge, the, the weight of that responsibility is amazing. It, it is awesome it is i don't know that any of i know i wouldn't want that responsibility to make decisions about that are life and death for people i mean that's that's huge and here david is he's the king of israel and this is at a time where invading countries would would come and they would try to invade your your territory and your land and you 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 would have to have walls and peace treaties and armies and and David was good at all these things but you also had to provide for your people and there was just a lot on his plate the the weight of being in charge is ominous and in the midst of this David has the presence to write hymns for us they're called psalms and we're going to look at a couple of verses these are two of my favorite verses in scripture because David does a soul, kind of a soul dive. He, he takes an inventory of his soul. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. And I use this, I'll, I'll use tec- this text a lot, mostly because I just love it. It's just probing. Uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He, here's why we're going to look at it. Because our souls are eternally important. My soul is what I take with me into eternity. And, and how my, the condition of my soul will not just affect me. My condition, the condition of my soul also infects, affects everyone around me. It might infect them too. Uh, it affects everyone around me. Uh, the condition of my soul affects my wife, affects my kids, affects the church, uh, affects the people I, I deal with. If your soul is in a bad place and you encounter people, uh, a lot of times you know your soul's in a bad place because you don't have good encounters with people. 
You're easily annoyed. You're easily frustrated. Sometimes that's a soul issue. Sometimes it's a sleep issue, but sometimes it's a soul issue. If you're chronically uh, annoyed with people, you got some soul issue going on. So the condition of my soul affects not just me, it affects others, but maybe more important, it, it relates, it affects how I relate to God. And if there's one relationship you've got to get right going forward, it's your relationship with God. It is crazy important to have your relationship with God in the right place. So, we're going to look at the 139th Psalm, verses 23 and 24. We're going to look at four phrases individually. We're going to kind of break it apart and look at them. And we're going to kind of do a, an inventory of our soul. Where are we? Where's, where's my soul in this area? So, number one, um, let's check our heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, I know I'm going to tell you something right now, and you're going to be amazed, but when I was 40 years old, I mean, look how, I mean, it looked great. Uh, when I was 40 years old, I had a heart attack. Now, um, I was stronger then, I was, you know, I, I felt great, and then one day I had a heart attack. <laughs> it's a little startling, frankly. Now, they check my heart often now to see what's going on, because one might look okay on the outside, I have pretty good energy. I mean, you know, the things you think about, hey, he had a heart attack. Well, you know, uh, he's old. It wasn't me. It's not me now. Uh, so, um, you, but they, they take tests on your heart. There's a, an EKG, an electrocardiogram, and then there's an echocardiogram. And that's where um, they yell and they see if it echoes. Uh, there's, um, uh, there's, there are stress tests. Anybody, how many people have taken a stress test? Like when your grandkids come over? Uh, that Okay, uh, not that. Uh, you get on a treadmill, you take a tr stress test. I had a chemical stress test one time. Horrible. I hate that. Um, they do angiograms. That's where they stick a probe into your vein here, and it goes into your heart. They run a wire through your veins into your heart. Does that creep anybody else out? It's really weird. Okay, now... When they do the angiogram, I like to not know it, all right? So my preference is to be asleep. Uh, is that, I mean, would you, would, that sounds right, doesn't it, for you? I mean, seriously, that sounds better. All right, so I don't know if I've told, I think I've told this story before here, but I'm going to tell you again. The, the last angiogram I had was several years ago. It was a new heart doctor, new hospital. I go in to take, take an angiogram. I've had two or three before, and so I kind of knew what to expect, um, I, I, I get wheeled in, and typically what happened for me before was I would get wheeled into the operating room, and, and they would put something in the IV that was already in there, and then I would wake up after that, and it was all over. It was great. In this particular instance, they wheeled me into the operating room. Um, they put something in my IV. I kept waiting to fall asleep. I didn't fall asleep, and all of a sudden, I feel the doctor probing so, I'm laying down, and I lean up, and I said, Doc, do you know I'm awake? Because that's information I thought he should know. And he said, oh, yes. Well, would you like to watch? Like, no. No, I would like to be asleep. Can you make that sleep thing? Oh, it'll only take a minute. And so, it's, all right, so, but the reason they go in is to check the condition of your heart, because as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Now, 
What you do is important. What you do is really important, but motives matter. Jesus put it this way, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples. A good person produces good things from the treasure of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasure of an evil heart. You can do good things for the wrong reason. Um, I could give to charity. I could give a large lump sum to charity. But if I give this large lump sum to charity in order to be acknowledged, in order to be recognized, so that people would think, well, what a great guy that is. He's a, he's a charity giver. The action is right. The motive is wrong. Or it snows and my little neighbor lady who's a widow needs her, her um, drive shoveled. I can go shovel her driveway. And, and that's a great, it's great to do that. It's great. But if my motive is to make it into her will, the action's right. The motive's wrong. Jesus is saying you have to check the motive. Why are you doing what you're doing? The, the way we get our heart calibrated right our spiritual heart. The very, very best way. Research over and over, you, there's research done on this. I mean, the conclusion is always the same. I want to make one last pitch going into 2019. The very best way to alter your spiritual heart is to read your Bible. I, I wish there was a magic pill. I wish there was an app. I wish there was the very best way to regulate your heart spiritually is to read your scriptures. There's just there, there's no alternative that's better. This is the very best thing you can do. Jesus said it this way. He said, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was referring back to, in the Old Testament, the Israelites leave Egypt... They're wandering in the wilderness. There are hundreds of thousands of them. They don't have enough food, and God provides food. It was called manna. That's where we get the phrase manna bread. You've heard of it. And so um, manna literally means, it literally means what is this? It, it would just show up. Overnight, there would, it's kind of like this. There would be dew, and the dew would, would dry, and there would be these flakes of manna. What is it? And there were two rules in collecting manna. Two. You had to do it every day, and you had to make time to do it every day. Every day you had to make time because it wasn't getting delivered to your house. You had to do it for yourself. And so um, you'd have to go out. You'd do it in the morning. You'd collect manna. You couldn't collect too much because it would spoil. You collected a day's worth every day. It's the same way with reading your scriptures. That's why Jesus said, uh, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that comes from the mouth of God. It is incredibly important, and it alters the way we think when we read scripture. It's just incredibly important. You have to make time to do it. You have to make time to do it every day. Here's what um, I've, I've discovered about myself physically. I check my heart all the time. I, I, go, I go to a cardiologist at least once every two, three years. I, I have an annual checkup. It's just, just what I do. It's just kind of what you do. And I've noticed something about doctors. When they ask you if you're taking your medicine, the wrong answer is sporadically. They don't like that. Occasionally, also not good. Uh, I went in the other day, and she said, your cholesterol's a little high. It's like, oh, yeah. um, how often are you taking your medicine? 
Well, occasionally. And that did not make her happy. And then I told a couple of nurses in here, and they got all snippy. With you. And uh, so you got to take your medicine. You got to take it. Look, it does you no good for it to be in a bottle on a counter, right? It does me no good to have it available and to not utilize it. It's the same thing with my spiritual life. We are so blessed in America. I have probably 10 Bibles at my house. There's an app on my phone I can use for the Bible. You can get the Bible anywhere, anytime you want to. It is available to you. You have to make time. You need to do it daily. It's only going to be effective if you take time and you do it daily. The things I have to do to take care of my heart, my physical heart, I have to exercise, I have to eat right, I have to take my medication, I have to do these things. The things I have to do to take care of my spiritual heart, I need to fellowship with other believers. It's called worship. I get together with other believers. I have to read my scriptures. I've got to make time to do it. I've got to make time to worship. I've got to make time to pray. If I want to have a healthy spiritual heart, I have to make time. So my assessment is, okay, how did I do last year? I look back at my heart condition. What, what have I been doing? What can I do better? And so going forward now, I, I can make an assessment. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. And then he says, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, wait a minute. Went one too far. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What things are causing me fear? This is a great practice. What are the things that make me nervous? What are the things in my life that are causing me angst? Uh, it could be your job. It could be your health. It could be your kids. It could be your finances. I mean, it could be, it could be a myriad of things. But it's super important to remember, if, if something is causing you fear, it's not from God. Because we're going to look at a scripture in just a second. Perfect love casts out all fear. We shouldn't be afraid. Let's go back to the Israelites just for a second. They escaped Egypt, they've been enslaved for over 400 years. God miraculously does these 10 plagues. Uh, the Egyptians release them. The, uh, the, the Israelites cross through the Red Sea. If you've seen the movie, you, you know what happens. And then they get into the wilderness, and the promised land is just right there. God is pro- You know why it's called the promised land? Because God promised it to them. It's right there. It's like living in Ohio, southern Ohio. The promised land is just over the river. I'm from Kentucky. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. So they sent spies in, 12 spies. Hey, go in there, see see what's going on. They go in. The spies say, oh, they come back and they say, it's awesome. It's a land flowing with milk, which I don't particularly care about, and honey, which is great. Land flowing with milk and honey. It's great. Now, we've got a problem. There's a problem. The land flowing with milk and honey is occupied by really big guys who are well-trained in the art of war, and we don't have a chance. All the spies said the same thing except Joshua and Caleb, two, two out of the twelve, who said, no, no, we can take them, we can take them. Now, it, what the ten spies saw was, it's great, the prize is awesome, but we can't do it. It's a lot like, have you all seen the movie The Miracle, Miracle, where uh, the U.S. Olympic team in 1980 takes on the Russians? Y'all, y'all know this story? And the, the, the American team is made up of a bunch of snotty-nosed college kids, 
and the Russians are professionals and they're trained and they've been together for years and they haven't lost a gold medal in since you know the, the 60s. They've won like six in a row or something. And and it's it's David and Goliath. And and yet the Americans win because God wanted it to happen. Uh, uh, it's, it's great. Or, or if you've watched any Rocky movie, it's Rocky versus Apollo Creed. Or Apollo Creed 2. Or Rocky versus Clubber Lang. Or Rocky versus Ivan Drago. Or Rocky versus Tommy Gunn. I mean, every Rocky movie is the same. It's the same movie, only they put a number, different number behind it. Um, it's always David and Goliath. And these, these, these spies come back and they said, we, just, we have no chance except for Joshua and Caleb. Forty years pass. T- time out just a second. God is annoyingly patient. And for 40 years they waited. And then Joshua takes over for Moses and he becomes the leader. And God says to the people through Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And the promise that was true for the Israelites thousands of years ago is true for us today. The way we eliminate fear, I love this saying, the more we're with God, the more we're without fear. The closer I get to God, the less afraid I become. Because, let's go back. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Maybe you need to say that to yourself. The Lord, my God, will be with me wherever I go. The Lord, my God, is with me in this particular situation. I I am scared of this, but the Lord, my God, is with me in this. I hate this. This is causing me to stay up at night. This is giving me ulcers. This is raising my blood pressure. This is not bigger than God. I will go with you, he says, Wherever you go, whatever the circumstance, whatever is causing you fear. And so when I make a fear assessment, I'm reminded that there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. The closer I am to God, the less I have to be afraid of. So, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and show me my anxious ways. And then it says, see if there is any offensive way in me. Are are there things in me that are causing offense? Now, I love Jesus because he is so not easily offended. I I like the fact that he just isn't easily offended. There's a story, he does get offended, but but not easily. Jesus calls a guy named Philip to be one of his disciples. And Philip has a brother and his name is Nathaniel. And Philip and Nathaniel... Anybody that knows brothers knows that brothers, when they're in a certain age, um, argue, they fight, they're competitive. That's just how it works. I, I mean, I've got daughters and they're competitive, so I understand uh, not having had sons, but uh, having been around guys a lot in my life, uh, there, there's a sort of uh, there, there's, uh, this competition between them, right? So, Philip decides he's going to follow Jesus, and he goes and tells his brother Nathaniel, and this is what happens. Philip found Nathaniel, and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Philip is fired up. Now, Nathaniel pours cold water on it. 
Nazareth, can anything good come from there? That's like being from Marietta. And they say, Marietta? Can anything? That's like being from Kentucky. And some of you people from South Carolina, can anything good come from Kentucky? Well, yeah. Johnny Depp? Uh, yes. So, um, can anything good come from there? Well, so, so basically Nathaniel disses Jesus and his people. <laughs> he, he's from Nazareth. So, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus didn't say, step off, chump, because this would be my reaction. You don't like, you diss Kentucky? Hit the bricks, bro. Uh, no. He's like, hey, I appreciate the fact that you're honest. At least you're honest. Here's what I think God loves about this. And what Jesus appreciated in Nathaniel was at least he was honest. When, when David prays, see if there's any deceptive way in me. See if there's any um, uh, offensive way. The word for offensive in Hebrew is otseb, which literally means idol. Is there anything getting between my relationship with God? There's God over here and I'm here, and is there anything getting in between that? Because that's the assessment we need to make. Is there anything getting between me and God? And I made a list, and it took me about six seconds to make this list. It's not exhaustive, but I think it's pretty good. Money can get between my relationship with God. I can care so much about money that I forget about my relationship. And there's nothing more important than your relationship with God. Uh, a, a relationship, uh, it could be with my spouse. It could be with my boyfriend or girlfriend. It could be with my kids. I can put something, I can elevate a person to a position where they get between my relationship with God. It happens all the time. My ambition, my pursuit of fame, they're kind of the same. Entertainment, work, comfort, hobbies, romance and sex, approval, addiction, sports, myself. All of these things can get in the way of my relationship with God. C.S. Lewis was brilliant. He was a brilliant... Uh, at one time he was an atheist... His upbringing, he was brought up in a church, but they were so strict, he just sort of, he just sort of, kind of jettisoned his faith. But then he came back because he, he said, I could find no other place where I could find joy. I, I could find no other joy other than in Christ. And so he used to lecture, this brilliant man used to lecture about Christianity. And someone at one of these lectures one time said, what, what religion brings the most happiness and Lewis thought for a minute, and this is his quote, while it lasts, the religion of worshiping oneself is best. The problem with worshiping yourself is it doesn't last. Whether we like it or not, we have to realize someday we give an accounting of our life to God, whether we like it or not. You don't have to like that, but as your pastor, as, as a guy that cares about you, just realize that someday you have to give an accounting of your life, as do I, of, of what I've done, what I've thought. Let me illustrate. In 2006, America Online, AOL, which was a service, uh, internet service provider, they, um, they opened up the searches of about 650,000 people. Now, they took the names away, but they, they gave them numbers. The problem was people figured out 
through the searches who the people were that had made the searches. And they gave, I read this article, and in the article it gave an example of, of a search. And the search was, how do you ship a pet? And so evidently these people had purchased a pet across state lines, and they couldn't go get it, and so they wanted to ship the pet. So, you know, the first search, one of the first searches was, how do you ship a pet? What's the cheapest way, actually was the search, what's the cheapest way of shipping a pet? Then a couple of days later you see a search, how to know if your cat has a broken bone? And then a search, uh, what causes um, a, a cat to bleed? So evidently in the shipping process, I mean, you can put two and two together. I think they did that thing where if it fits, it ships, and that was a bad, bad deal. And so uh, uh, that didn't work out. But, but, but the question is, would you be prepared to have your searches, your search history revealed to the public? I mean, there are certain searches which are private, they're not immoral, they're just private. Maybe you have a medical condition and you'd like to know about that. And you, it's not immoral, it's just private. So you'd rather it not get out there, but if it got out there. But the bigger question is, am I prepared to have my search histories seen by God? Because you, you will and you do. Sometimes they're private because of the very fact they are immoral. So sometimes they're private because we want to keep it. Here's what we have to understand. We f- can fake relationships with people. And it happens at church a lot. It happens at work. It happens everywhere a lot. We, we put on our best. We, you know, we get spit and polished and we come to church and we act like we're, we got it all together. And we know deep inside, when I go home, I know me. Deep inside, I know myself. And I can put on, and I can make you think a certain way about me, and if you're not around me a lot, that's what you're going to think. But my relationship with God is just gut honest. Because He knows it all. He knows when I'm gossipy. He knows when I'm uh, judgmental. He knows all that. He knows when I have wicked thoughts. He just knows And the one thing I think that we really need to get to is, can I just be honest with God? God, this scares me. I I have fear here. Father, I'm lonely. And I'm going to the wrong places to to scratch this itch. Father, I'm, I'm worried. Can we get to a place where we're just honest Because that leads us to the fourth thing. And lead me in the way everlasting. The beautiful thing about the way everlasting is it's available to all of us. Um, When I was in Kentucky as a pastor a few years ago, we lived in a parsonage. And if you don't know what a parsonage is, it's a, a house that the church provides for you. And behind our church, behind the parsonage, was a field. It was a beautiful field. The, uh, he, uh, the guy grazed cattle there. And in this field, there was a stream that meandered through and these big trees. And my girls, who were, you know, 10, 12, uh, you know, 8, they, they weren't very old. It, it was kind of when Elise was really, really little. Uh, my girls weren't very old. They would go and play in these trees. They called it Enchanta. Enchanta, girls. Now, so trees. Let's go, we'll use this as a prop. Trees. Now, 
beside this field, there was an old country road, and, and it was paved, and I liked to walk on that road. And so I would take my daily walks uh, out on the road on, on, next to Enchanta, right? And there was a rock fence, and if you've ever been to Kentucky, I don't, I don't see any of them here, but we have walls that were built by, uh, by slaves. Uh, they're amazing. The construction is amazing. And they, they would stack these field stones and make these fences. And there was a, a, a field stone fence beside the road between myself and Enchanta. So I'm walking one day, and I'm, I'm heading back, and I'm heading back to the house, and I saw the girls over there. I thought, oh, oh, oh. so I ducked. And I said, I changed my voice, and I said, what are you girls doing in my field? It's funny, isn't it? I mean, it's awesome, don't you think? Now, the girls didn't think it was very funny. So my oldest, she was like, uh, we're sorry, we, we, we didn't know, we didn't know. <laughs> it was great. Uh, anyway, now, um, and by the way, we, we didn't ask to be in the field, but it's Kentucky. That dude is a cousin. I, I mean, he really is. There's no doubt that guy wasn't related to me. There's, let me show you a verse. So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Condemnation is getting caught red-handed. It's being someplace you're not supposed to be. It's doing something wrong. Condemnation is when you feel that you have been caught. Or that you know God knows. And you're doing the wrong thing, but God knows. And I love this verse. There's now no condemnation because look at this yes each of us will give a personal account to God remember someday I give an accounting of my life to God and I don't want to have condemnation so I don't have to but remember there's a, an important part of this for those who belong to Christ Jesus see we we understand big sins we get the biggies right we get them uh, grand theft auto or or murder or uh, adultery or or you know what we we understand the big ones it's the little ones that we just sort of brush aside and we usually use little in the in the expression a little white lie a, a little fudging on our taxes a, a, a little gossip we like to minimize it the thing is god doesn't minimize it Last night I had a dream, and I usually don't share dreams, but I had this dream, and it was so odd. I, I dreamed I had died, and, and, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm at, I meet St. Peter, and there's this stairway to heaven. I heard the song, and, uh, uh, and St. Peter hands me a piece of chalk. And he said, by the way, this isn't how it works, but he hands me a piece of chalk, and he says, uh, as you climb the stairway to heaven, you need to make a mark on each step for every one of your sins. Oh, okay. So I'm making a mark, and as I'm making a mark, I, I, see, I see Dwayne. He's coming down. Dwayne, what are you doing? He said, i got to get more chalk. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and, then, <laughs> and then Chris was going up with a bucket. Uh, so uh, uh, a bucket of chalk. So here's the point. When we were utterly helpless... Uh, this is such a great verse. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. And he died for our sins. When we were utterly helpless. And then this one. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will certainly save us. There's our word. 
from God's condemnation. Something that we call grace. I'm going to end with just a stupid little story, but hopefully it'll make a point. When we lived in Michigan, I am, if you don't know this about me, I'm a bargain hunter. I, I am a bargain hunter. My daddy would say about me, he would say, you, you are tighter than bark on a tree. I, I, I am tight, and I like to keep you know, the resources that God gives me if I can. And so we went to a, I went to a sporting goods store, and there, were, there was a pair of shoes, and they were you know, athletic shoes, and they were more than 50% off. And you hardly ever find that. If you know that, uh, they, they were like more. In fact, when I saw them, there was a beam of light coming from heaven, and angels were singing. Hallelujah! Because that is the deal. It was like the deal, the best deal I'd had all year. And I tried them on, and they fit. And so I, I took the box up, and I paid less than half price. I mean, Merry Christmas to me. I, it was awesome. Took them home, put them in the closet. I threw the box away, I threw the receipt away because who needs it? And I didn't wear them for about three months because they were just, they were like, when I, this pair wears out, now I'm going to go to this pair. So this pair wore out, and I went to this pair, and I started to wear them, and they hurt like the Dickens. They were horrible. They just hurt every time I wore them. So I thought I would try to take them back, put them in a Walmart bag, no box, no receipt. Has been worn. Anybody want to guess how that went? So I go to the lady. She was so nice in saying, we can't do anything for you. She said it as nice as she could. Listen, you know, sir, we're, we're sorry they hurt, uh, but we really can't. Without a box, without a receipt, we don't know what you paid for them. We don't know what happened. We just can't do anything. And so it's like, I, I, and I had no expectation. I just, hey. Jesus said, you have not because you asked not. So I thought I'd give it a go, right? I, I went in, and I grabbed up my shoes and put them in the bag, and I'm walking out the door. I'm almost to the door, and as I push the door open, she says to me, you might contact the maker, the shoemaker. They might do something. I'm like, whatever. So I drive home, and I think to myself, well, what's it going to hurt? So the next morning, I, I get up, and I call. Uh, I find the number online, and I call customer service. I, be I believe they were New Balance, but I don't re quite recall, but I think that's right. And I call, let's say it's New Balance, I call them, and the lady answers, and she's super nice, and I explain my dilemma. Hey, you know, I bought these shoes, I don't have the receipt, I don't have the box, but they hurt, and I'm just, I can't wear them. I'll give them away if, if you can't do anything. And, and, and she says to me, she says, um, mail them to us. And we'll see what we can do. And I said, now wait just a second. Just a second. I didn't pay full price. Um, I got them for like half price or less. I don't even remember exactly what I paid. And she said, that doesn't matter. Mail them to us and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> okay. Again, I don't have a lot of hope. But I put them in a package and I mail them. Within a week, there on my front door, at my front door, was a box of brand new better shoes. They were a higher, higher end, much better shoe. See, that's called grace. I did everything wrong. I threw the box away. I threw the receipt away. I didn't wear them right away. I did nothing right other than ask. The only thing I did right was ask. Can you 
Will you show mercy? That's grace. You can do everything wrong. Your life could be completely messed up. Grace is asking for forgiveness and receiving it every time. The magnitude of God's love and forgiveness, we just can't comprehend. Over and over again, we can do just absolutely the wrong thing. It's wrong and it's wrong and it's wrong and it's wrong. And somehow, for some reason, if we ask, the Bible tells us He forgives us of all of our sin. It's not because of what we've done, it's because of what Christ's done. I don't earn it or deserve it. That's grace. So we're at the end of this year and we're at the beginning of next year. And what better time than now to ask, Lord, this is causing me fear. Can I give you this? Can I lay this at your feet? Will you take care of this? Because all you have to do is ask. What better time than right now than to say, Lord, my heart isn't just right where it needs to be. And I'd like it to be better. Can you help me? What better time than right now to say, God, there's something in between us, between me and you. And I'd like to make that right. I'd like to get that idol out of the way so that our relationship can be right. Because there's no more important thing than for your soul to be in right relationship with God. There's no more important thing. And you can put on for everybody else, and everybody might think you're great, but God knows you and God knows me. He knows the real me. And He knows the real you. What better time, what better time than right now to get that right? Because the way everlasting is available for you and for me. We just have to ask. We don't have to do anything right. We just have to ask. Father, you are amazing. And it is, it's so cool that you can penetrate our heart with words with ideas and with thoughts and that you can get our attention and everybody in this room is here for a reason today today maybe most of us or some of us or one of us needed to hear about our heart condition maybe all of us or some of us or one of us needed to hear about being offensive or maybe some of us or all of us or one of us needed to hear about fear and how you don't want us to live in fear and we're here for a reason, and you have spoken to us. And Lord, whatever we need to do, I pray that we would do it. And if we've never gotten on the path everlasting that you want us all to be on, if we've never, even though we've messed up, if we've never taken the opportunity to ask for forgiveness, what better time than today? Lord, help us to do it today. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.